Welcome to the Get With It podcast. I will be your host, Elizabeth. This podcast will focus on the decline of women in technology and how our grassroots organization works with the community to foster relationships and reducing the gap of women in tech. We will be talking with both men and women on how to continue to move the needle forward on those relationships. For more information, please check us out at getwitit.org. Okay, why don't we get started? So thanks, everybody, for joining today. Um, my name is Julia Shemalinski. I'm VP of the Get With It Board in Cleveland, and I just wanted to give us a quick introduction. Uh, as a reminder, for those who have just joined, you won't be able to unmute yourself or have a video present, but please do reach out with any questions in the Q&A feature, and we'll get started. So thank you for joining us. This is our second in a series of events that hopefully while we're all staying safe and at home, um, that we can still interact and get some good contact and get some good events going here. Uh, so today's session is going to be a panel. It's a Path to Tech, a Lunch and Learn panel discussion with women in tech. Before we meet these four amazing panelists, I want to share a little bit about Get With It. Okay, good, that updated. Get With It organization originally started in Columbus as a local group of women wanting a conference to support women in technical careers, and it's grown into a nonprofit organization with a specific mission to unite and leverage communities' social capital to increase women in technology through programs, resources, and structured activities. Our vision is to provide local communities with a catalyst for economic growth created by women's innovations in technology. And since Columbus, this the Get Witted organization has expanded to Cleveland in 2018, and then in 2019 grew to Pittsburgh and Cincinnati. So our organization um, embraces women, men, people of all identities who are passionate about seeing more women in IT and leadership. The goal of our organization is to network, make connections, empower women, and learn more about the tech industry, which is really why we're all here today as well. A couple of very quick updates before we dive in. We have a couple of update, uh, um, upcoming events. Our next virtual event in the series is a virtual reciprocity ring that's gonna take place on May 14th in the evening. It's gonna be 6.30 p.m. Eastern. We're partnering with Shannon Waffen, who is of Thrive Coaching and Consulting, and she's gonna run us through a virtual reciprocity ring. It will have some limited participation so that every attendee can actually engage and participate. So make sure you sign up early for that if you're interested. And also, of course, we have our conference this year. So the Cleveland Conference, WITCON 2020, the theme is a century of disruption. This is currently scheduled to take place at Case Western Reserve University on November 16th. So please save the date. We're really excited about this. The century of disruption theme is celebrating 100 years since women have won our right to vote. Um, we do have our call for speakers. That deadline has been extended to May 30th. So if it's something you want to contribute, share, participate in the conference, please sign up and you can find all of that on our social media through LinkedIn and Facebook. And also in, um, early bird tickets are still available for the conference through July 13th. So sign up and we hope to see you there. And now we want to quickly introduce our panelists and then we'll hand off to the group, which is really what you're all here to do. Um, our panelists are Nicole Capuana, Dara Atkinson, India Dupree, and Lauren Zink. 
And I'm going to stop sharing my screen. One moment. There we go. Now you can see all of our awesome panelists. So let's get started. The first question that I'm going to ask of all of you is just to introduce yourself, your company, your title, tell us a little bit about your primary responsibilities in your role. And uh, let's start with Nicole because you are first on my view of the camera. Sure. Uh, and I am going to tell you all that my new role is a door opener. Um, <laughs> so the door is right next to me here and my dogs like to come in and out 50 gazillion times. So you may see me move. Uh, so, yeah, Nicole Capuana, I'm a lead product strategist at Level 20, which is Progressive Insurance's new growth incubator. So while I can't talk about the things that I work on, I can say that the things are about exploring new businesses and ideas to help think about where Progressive is 20 years from now. So a lot of like that early stage on certain bits and like exploring problems and design thinking. And so my role on the team is to really keep the team together. Uh, and if we have a really great team, we can solve anything. Um, but uh, that really arcs everything from figuring out like what the interactions are, what our product is, what the market is, who our users are, what do they need and why do they need that, and what are the business requirements, and what are the technical requirements, and then I put it all together and we'll build something. Um, so um, I'm the one person on my team in particular, which is a small cross-functional team of seven that has been through building products before. So I'm also pretty much coaching the whole team on getting through like what is product design and how do we create something that people need and love and value. So I think that's all the questions you asked me. <laughs> That's great. And then if you want to add a fun fact about yourself, feel free to, but I think door opener may also cover that. Yeah. These days <laughs> I have six different roles that I do simultaneously, as I think many of us do, right? So not only do I work full time on video calls all the time, I am a school teacher. I am a door opener. I am a planner. I am a chef, on-demand chef that the, the order's already been launched before <laughs> uh, this call, that when this is over, I think I need to make a corned beef sandwich. So there you go. <laughs> Good to know. Thank you, Nicole. Uh, Dara? Yeah, uh, so I'm Dara Adgeson. I'm a database administrator. I do a lot of consulting work, uh, primarily doing database migrations, older companies that are small and have arcane software and migrating their databases into the current day and age where current engineers could maintain them ever. Um, I do have a full-time position as a database security infrastructure engineer um, for a utility company, which is interesting and I work on a cross-functional data security team as part of that and I normally have a couple days a week remote but new situation is is certainly different. Um, I'm also self-taught so I originally come from a art and then marketing and then liking analytics and teaching myself database stuff background. Um, so I've, I've been doing that for about eight years now in tech and I, I rather like it a lot. Uh, fun fact, I'm also uh, running for the state house. Um, Great. Yeah. So that's that's me. Every, everything data. Um, and I, I like doing a lot of break fix stuff too. Uh, when when Emily and I work together, that's mostly what I did was was break fix data issues. Um, and that's fun. Great. Thank you. Let's move on to Nicole. Oh, I just said Nicole. Lauren, let's move on to Lauren. <laughs> Hello, my name is Lauren Zink. Um, I actually work as a manager of security awareness and engagement 
for Opportune. Um, I've been there for a little under a year now, and I really love what I do there. I get to head up their security awareness program, which entails communications, education, awareness around different cybersecurity threats. Um, my role has become really busy in the last, I would say, month and a half to two months with all of the COVID stuff going on, especially with different scams related to that and making sure that we're communicating how to stay safe in the work from home environment, which is new to a lot of people. Um, my company is actually based out of California, so I typically go there about once a quarter, um, but with all these travel restrictions, I'm not going there. I'm accustomed to working from home, but most people in our company are not. Um, so that kind of gave me a little bit of leverage to be able to throw in some of my tips and tricks for not only how to stay secure working from home, but also how to make it enjoy as much of an enjoyable experience as possible. Um, I will say I also have multiple roles right now, and my two-year-old actually just ran in here. <laughs> Luckily, I was on mute. Um, but it does, you know, whether you're in meetings or you're presenting, I was just presenting to a group of about 45 people last week, and she also ran in. So two- and five-year-old keep you busy while you're working from home, that's for sure. But I'm really <laughs> glad to talk about kind of where I'm at today. Great. Thank you. Welcome. And uh, India, please introduce yourself. Hi, um, my name is India Dupre. Um, I work at Forum Fire in down, down, downtown Cleveland. I've been at Forum Fire for about two and a half years now, and I'm a client super, services supervisor there. So basically, I just handle the day-to-day -day, um, schedules for the client services team. Um, I work closely with the team lead, basically um, touching base on reports for productivity efficiency, um, CSAP metrics, monthly quality reviews, and training. So we also um, conduct regular scheduled 101s with the team to basically just set goals, uh, priorities, and provide uh, performance feedback and get some feedback from them. And also I collaborate with uh, different departments through our, our company, especially the development team to pretty much follow up on any type of escalations that our team has put in, um, any type of issues or any type of feature requests that we might submit to um, basically improve our system. So that's what we've been um, working on, especially um, being remote. It has been something to adjust to. We're normally in a call, so uh, we've been pretty much communicating, you know, via uh, go-to meetings or Microsoft Teams currently. So just trying mm -hmm. to get through these last two months here. Great, thank you. So for most of these mm -hmm. questions, I'm going to, I might call you guys out a little bit, but please, all panelists, feel free to jump in um, if there's a question you're really excited to answer. Uh, but India, we'll start with you. We're going to go backwards right now. How do you communicate most efficiently with your team? Yeah, so um, we have daily check-ins now that we're remote. Uh, we use GoToMeeting for that. Um, basically, I just go over the daily metrics from the day before, how many, like our call, our chat, or email volumes that we had, just to kind of see if we're kind of on point with, you know, in the past few months or kind of compare it to the previous year to see how we're doing. Um, kind of do rounds with the team and ask them how each of them are feeling for the day. Have they come across any, you know, strange issues that we need to address? Um, basically, address any company announcements they need to know. Um, and we go over uh, customer satisfaction stores. Uh, we want to also pretty much bring out good comments each day that they get to, you know, make them feel good that they're doing good work. And uh, we also pretty much communicate through Microsoft Teams. So we have a little Teams channel where we have all our 
um, documents and procedures there that they can go and follow up. And we also chat throughout the day to make sure that everyone's doing well. So that's how we communicate remotely. You're muted, Julia. I'm sorry, I'm muted. Is it really different from how it felt when you were um, more in person? Does it feel more disconnected? Um, well, our company definitely makes sure that we communicate daily, like every single day. So we have meetings every day. Um, it is, it does feel different because we're in an open floor environment in downtown Cleveland. And I can just pretty much walk over and kind of view to see how everything's going, but you can't do that when you're working remotely. So you have to really kind of pay attention to like the gecko boards and the queues to see how the numbers are going and everything and just kind of just check in with the team and see how they're doing. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it is different because when you are used to just getting up and walking around and asking people how they're doing, um, it's, it's more personal than versus, you know, if you just having to send a shoot a message over and sometimes people just say, Oh, it's okay. But they're, I feel like in person, they're probably more prone to like talk and really tell you what's going on. Okay. Makes sense. Anyone else? Dara, I'll put you on the spot. <laughs> oh, but now you're muted. I don't know that I actually have anything to add to that one. Okay. <laughs> no, no problem. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, okay, let's move on. Unless there's uh, anyone who wants to jump in on another question. Let me see here. What key challenges have you faced in your career and how did you overcome them? And this is for anybody. Feel free to jump in. Um, I mean, I think some of the obvious that I'll, I'll chime in with is I've most places I've worked, I've been in the minority um, as there being very few women. Um, I've worked one place where there were a bunch of other women on the engineering floor, which was pretty amazing. Um, but most places I've worked where I am now, I'm one of two women on a team of 37. And my first job in tech, I was the only woman in the engineering team. You know, and it's, has it has its own challenges i i tend to um code switch and just be more masculine to be more comfortable on the job and get more respect in meetings and people you know listening to my thoughts more particularly from a database administrator as opposed to being a software developer on an engineering team i'm often in addition to being the only woman the only database administrator or one of only one or two database administrators so you need to have a another level of shoving yourself into the situation. Yeah, I can kind of uh, piggyback off of that if that's all right. Um, it's kind of same thing. Also, one of the only females being in cyber, there's not a whole lot. Um, we were actually looking at the information security summit for next year, um, which is all kind of based on the, you know, the cyber industry in the Cleveland area. And I wanted to come up with a panel locally of women that do cyber, and I could only come up with two two people. Um, I was at that summit. You were? Okay, so I spoke <laughs> last year. I was the only woman that spoke, which to me was insane. So this year I wanted to get a panel. So if you're interested, maybe <laughs> if you would like to be on the panel. Um, it's, it's kind of, and it makes it difficult when you're in those situations working and you don't have other females to kind of turn to. 
um, and making sure that your voice is heard, that you're respected, and also being in the same boat of typically where I'm at, um, I'm the only person doing my role at the company. There's not other people to kind of lean on. And because my role is relatively new, it's only been around for about 10 years. I really didn't have a really good network of people to rely on to go to for advice. I kind of just had to, through trial and error, figure out what worked. And I would say um, it's been very effective for me. And I think that I learned a lot from that. And I tried to then take what I've learned and pass that on and be a mentor to other people because I didn't have that going through what I went through. Um, and I think that that's really important. But I would definitely say being one of the only females and one of the only people in my role has also been a key challenge for me as well. Okay. I will sort of echo that a little bit. I was thinking... I've been working in this industry for 20 years, so it's like hard to remember sort of all the challenges along the way. Um, but one that really stood out was something I've learned about myself is that when I get bored, uh, watch out, that usually creates a need for change for me. And so at one role that I was at, gosh, probably eight years ago, I was really like frustrated and not feeling like in love with my job anymore. And so I meditated on this post-it note that sat in front of me every single day that said, what can I change? And I, you know, would make small adjustments in my day or my job. And there were things I could change and there were things that were totally out of my control, right? So it led me ultimately to a path where I was like, okay, the thing that I need to change is I need to change jobs. And when I started that process to go find a new job, I was like, okay, well, you know, I'm just going to embrace this and have a conversation with anyone. And so similar to Lauren, like really, it, like I just started to open up and build a network where I was like, I'll talk to anybody, right? And to this day, I'll talk to anybody. If you want to chat and have a coffee or a virtual connection and talk some more, I'm happy to do that, right? But it was really interesting that those conversations just led me to really interesting opportunities that never would have sort of been on my radar. Um, and so and most recently, I had a startup where we had launched a product, we got funding, we had users, we ran out of funding, and then I was like, oh shit, now I need an income, uh, what am I going to do? And so thankfully, because I had been building up those conversations and those that network, I just went back out to everybody and was like, what have you got for me? Like, what's out there? And then again, doors opened and I was able to do some consulting. So like, I guess my takeaway is, right, like I can get through any challenge, sort of reflect on what you can change and then don't underestimate the power of those conversations and mentors and networks. And we're definitely building all of that here as well. So that's awesome. Okay, let's see. We had some good questions come in so far. Uh, what is the hardest lesson you've learned in your current role? There's a lot of thoughtful faces. I'm going to start calling. <laughs> I'll go ahead. Um, I would say not just in my current role, but every role that I've been in is that not everyone cares about security as passionately as I do. Um, and I know that's just the reality, not only in my work, but in my personal life. Um, and I think going in and having that understanding, but figuring out creative and inventive ways to get people to want to get on board with me to, you know, change the culture within an organization uh, and get people to want to be more secure in their personal and their professional lives. Um, I think that's kind of the hardest thing that I've, you know, had to learn to kind of let go of is not everyone's going to care as much as I do. Okay. I think Anyone? the challenge was I wanted my team to go faster, and now I look back and I'm like, holy shit, we're going really fast. Uh, but um, it felt very slow in the beginning, and 
I think one of the things that I realized was that, and I knew it going in, that I would have to coach the rest of the team to get to get comfortable. Um, and what I maybe was solidified, I knew it all along, but it's like you really have to meet every person where they're at and try to bring them up. And so just so much collaboration, but knowing that people are sort of going to get to where you need them to be, some quicker, some slower. And and so like it's sort of this, these baby steps of just sort of, nudging and guiding that um, like was challenging because that to me was maybe the part that felt slow um, but like we've come a long way in less than a year and I'm really proud of where everyone's gotten to. Okay great thank you. Um, so we have a wide variety of roles here and we went with this panel um, intentionally we didn't have devs pms bas qas everyone sort of knows those are tech roles so we went a little bit outside of that um, but another question for each of you is why this role why did you pick to be what you are um, what was your path to get here what kind of helped you find that dream yeah uh, I can go ahead. Um, so I kind of, I would say I got kind of lucky. Um, I actually taught, I was a teacher at a local high school and an adjunct instructor at a local college. Took courses for free while I was there in Homeland Security Information Technology. Found out that that was probably my passion all along. I just never had anyone kind of steering me in that direction. I wish someone would have because it would have been a more direct path to where I'm at. Um, but I think that it gave me the tools being a teacher for a long time to be able to be successful at what I'm at today. Um, so actually a course opened up at a large company in Northeast Ohio and it was for an education awareness analyst. And I thought, you know, I've been teaching for about four to five years now. This kind of marries my two passions, which are both training and teaching and that, you know, technical information security role that I've been looking for, but was kind of apprehensive about jumping into. Um, and I went and I interviewed and I thought there's probably no way I'm going to get this. They ended up calling me back and I was hesitant at first to take it. I'm not really sure why, um, but it was probably one of the best decisions that I've ever made. Um, I, not to say that the first year or two was not very difficult. A lot of tears were shed. I was, you know, very anxious about, am I where I need to be? Is this really the role for me? Um, and again, not having those mentors or other people in the industry doing this yet. Um, also made it more difficult, but I can honestly say that I am exactly where I'm supposed to be and security awareness is an up-and-coming field and I'm so excited and passionate about it. And even though I didn't have a direct path, I think that everything that I did to get to that point was best for me for where I'm at now. Anybody else? Sure, I can okay. go. So my path was like, you know, I went to college and my parents said no theater and no art, which were the first two things I wanted to do. So I was like, yeah, sure, fine. I will study classics. I was the one and only classics major for my year. I spent three years translating ancient Greek. And then when I finished, I was like, okay, now what do I do with this classics degree? So I took a road trip across the country for three months trying to figure out where I wanted to live and landed in Seattle in the dot-com boom and then bust um, back when the internet was just coming out and I got a role as a receptionist at a electronic medical records company and sort of just kept taking on more and more responsibilities and I said to the company I was like hey can I take on managing the website 
And they were like, sure. And I was like, great, I have no idea how to do that. Um, can you pay for a class for me to learn HTML? And they said, sure. So I took that class and then fell in love with it because I felt like it was just like the three years of ancient Greek, that it was a language and that it had a syntax and like just an order that had to be followed. And so it was really easy for me to grok and I was like, oh my God, I love this. Like, this is what I can do. And so then I went back to school and I started taking classes in sort of what was then like web design, right? And um, I didn't even finish that program because it was a crazy dot-com boom. So I think I sent my resume to three companies, got three job offers, right? So I took one and then learned on the job. And then, um, you know, I always gravitated more for the interface side of things and trying to understand, like, like, how do we display information? How do we make it clear and easy to use? And that really just led me into what grew up as user experience as a field. Uh, to understand the people that we're building for, to understand their needs, to figure out the layout and, and all of that. So I feel like I took a very like strange path to get there, but in some abstract way, I still use my degree in the sense that coding is another language. I don't code that much these days. You don't want it in production. Um, but also like taking sort of like the study of all these other things is really led me to this path. And I'm like, Lauren, I'm like, I can't imagine not being here. <laughs> like, I love it, and I want other people to love it. And um, so, yeah. So, that's it. I can jump in okay. real quick on that question too. So, um, piggybacking off her saying her parents uh, didn't want her to do art. I went to college for art. Actually, I went to community college for graphic design. Um, enjoyed it to a certain extent. I thought it was very tedious, but I still loved art. So I, I went um, to Bowling Green to study. I, I was interested in actual like special effects and things. So I took coding classes on top of other art classes and found out I was not good at coding at all. Even retook some coding classes and failed those. So once I was done and graduated with my art degree, I didn't go into art at all. I went into retail until I finally got my first office job at National General Insurance. And that's when I realized I had leadership skills. So um, being there, I was just like a client service representative. I would help other people that were like, um, that had temporary positions and helped the new people out and, you know, told them how to do the position. But unfortunately, that actually made my numbers go down and in turn had me lose my job. So the job after that, um, I actually became a team lead. So that actually worked out for me. Um, I enjoy helping people and, and watching them succeed and grow into the, the company. So um, after I left my previous job, I uh, came to F4 and Fire. My um, old boss found me on LinkedIn. Um, I, had, I didn't have a job for like maybe a few weeks and thankfully she found me. Um, I came in right before our busy season started, so I was pretty much thrown into the fire. Um, did pretty well, got promoted pretty quickly to a team lead at Form Fire within less than a year. Um, and, you know, to where I am as a client services supervisor now, I um, actually wanted that role. There were some things um, that our department, I felt that we needed to change. And, you know, I definitely talked to my boss and my boss was on her way out the door. I said, you know, I definitely can um, lead this team um, to do some good things and get some things changed within our department. So that way we can make sure that our customers are served the best way they can. So 
that's where I came from art all the way to being a supervisor at a tech company. So mine wasn't the straight and narrow path either. I didn't know I would end up here, but I'm glad I, I'm where I'm at today. That's great. I, I don't think I've ever heard of a straight and narrow path um, in technology. It's very rare. So it's always ex exciting to hear how different people got here. But leading into um, those paths, uh, several of you mentioned either fear or excitement, nervousness, something like that, a lot of uncertainty. So have you struggled with imposter syndrome? Um, and how did you get over it? I did a little bit. Um, but one thing I set out to do when I, back when I was doing the reflection on the post-it note, like what can I change? Um, I had also reached a point where every time I went to conferences, I felt like I wasn't getting anything out of them. And so I was like, either like I should stop going to conferences or maybe I should start speaking at conferences to like share what I know to others. And so I set an intention to speak at a conference. Um, and I did, um, and then that sort of snowballed, but I certainly felt like an imposter, like do, like, do I have anything worthwhile to say? Like, what should I say? How do I talk about it? And somebody gave me really great, avoid, uh, great advice, and that was, like, tell your story, um, because, like, your story, like, people will resonate with pieces of it, so just tell your story. People love stories, and so with that, that sort of helped me feel, like, brave enough to get out there, and I certainly was trying to be brave and put myself out there. But it got, got to the point where, I mean, I was speaking na nationally. Um, I sort of like had set the intention to speak, oh, I'll just do a little conference like World Usability Day here in Cleveland. Um, but then I got picked up by Adaptive Path and the UX Week and did a full-on workshop and got to meet sort of like the rock stars in the field. And like I was at the rock star table for the like speaker series, you know, like dinners and stuff like that. So I don't know. It's just like one step in front of your, like the other and, and you know, you have something to say and there's, there's, there's value in it and people can learn from you. Awesome. I think I saw Dara also jumping in on that. Yeah. I was just thinking about, I don't, I know for me, I don't think imposter syndrome is something that ever totally goes away. You know, it has a way of, of rearing its head from time to time, depending on the, the project or the contract. And I, I just do my best to, to power through it. I'm like, I've been doing this for, you know, almost 10 years now. I should stop having this at some point. But I think that's, it's something that we're, you know, culturally trained to have as a, a voice in the back of our head, both in technology and other aspects of life. And, you know, if enough people are, are listening to you, you just need to be like, nope, ignore the voice, ignore it. Um, and if no one ever brings it up, then you know it's it's literally just an imaginary voice. And I've I've never been you know called out for not knowing things. I've only ever had a voice like, wait, do you actually know? Me? Yeah, no, I do know it. I do know it. Um, and you just need to keep reminding yourself of that. And don't be afraid to look things up. There's no shame in just looking things up. We all do it constantly. <laughs> awesome. And then I think I saw India also. I'm, I'm judging entirely based on who takes themselves off mute. So <laughs> jump on in. Yes, I definitely have been struggling with it. I've been in the client services supervisor role for two months. <laughs> and I've never been a supervisor before. So I definitely struggle with imposter syndrome still right now. Um, basically, sometimes I feel like I don't know what I'm doing or I'm like, oh, this even though I wanted to be promoted to this position, sometimes I'm like, oh, did I, am I in over my head? 
Um, you know, I have a lot of meetings daily with like the CEO, COO, uh, chief of technology, everyone that's in like higher positions than me. And, you know, everyone has probably been there positions for 10 years plus, And I'm just, I feel good because I'm like, oh, you know, I have my input that I can talk about. But there's some things I, I'm not really familiar with. But in order to overcome that, you know, I've talked to myself and I say it's okay. I'm new to the position I'm learning. Um, I just am transparent with things. If I don't know it, I say I don't know it, but I'm not afraid to learn or afraid to look things up myself. So I feel like if you're struggling with imposter syndrome, you just have to kind of be honest with yourself, like, okay, I know these things. I know what I can contribute. I know what type of skills I currently have. Let's let's grow. Let's just you know, collaborate with other departments. Let's see what I can learn from coworkers. Let's see what I can learn from Google or training, lynda.com, something. You know, just really teach yourself and know things will be okay. And once time goes by, you'll feel like you're more, you know, like, okay, I do deserve this position because I'm putting my best foot forward. So that's how you can overcome it. That's awesome. Um, I'm actually going to look at a couple of questions that were submitted by the group. So thank you to the attendees for contributing. Uh, the first is, what advice would you give other women trying to get into more technical roles and being one of very few women, which many of you spoke about? And how have you risen above that stigma? Yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and take that. Um, I would say that the advice I can give you if you're trying to get into a more technical role is, don't be afraid to say yes and take a chance, even if you feel like you're having that imposter syndrome or you feel nervous about it. Um, you can always learn it. And as long as you're a hard worker and you're dedicated and you have the passion, that's going to show through. And that's what's really important. Um, and I think just making sure that you realize that you're worthy of this position um, and working, continuing to work hard at it. Um, I think don't be afraid that you're going into a technical role. I found that I've gone from non-technical roles to technical roles during vulnerability management back to non-technical roles. Uh, but having that experience in those different areas is going to be valuable no matter what. I will share, I mean, obviously most of my career has been like with just men. Um, and uh, it's, it is what it is, I suppose, but uh, I, I'm always vocal about trying to get women into any role in tech. Like, there's so many roles that contribute to building products, whether you're a developer or a designer or an analyst, right? Like, there's so many roles around solving problems, and so I really try to speak to kids and, you know, career changers or whatnot, um, but I, I think one thing that I, I feel has served me well is not being afraid to... Um, speak up and, and share with the uh, the team of guys that uh, that they could they could be they could make improvements right so for example I had a, a session where um, my iteration manager said oh hey guys to this team and I pulled them aside afterwards and I said you know I don't really have an issue with the word guys but I'm like it wasn't as inclusive as it could be you could have said hey team which would have been better or even better you could say hey Gary and Nicole how did you make progress on that particular issue right so I just find little small ways to to, to speak up and then they, they, it's just an awareness and they're like oh my god yeah okay so they're now more mindful um, of being the words they use and being inclusive 
Great. Okay. And then let me see here. The other question, another question we have coming in from the group is not appearing on my screen for some reason. Oh, there it is. Okay. Um, do you have mentors and what qualities do you look for in a mentor? I have a board of directors, personal board of directors I'm forming. Um, and they're not formal mentors, but they're people who have mentored me in some way, whether they knew it or not. Um, that has been like just the valuable people that I try to connect with frequently to bounce ideas off of or just stay in touch with because I always feel I learn from them. So I don't have a formalized mentor, but what I would say maybe is common among them is that they've offered me a different perspective than I had originally. Um, they're super smart and they're very caring and very collaborative. Um, so those are maybe the, the key qualities, but they come from all walks, right? Like, you know, one's an entrepreneur and business owner, and then another's, you know, a former client that I had who's in marketing. Um, just people who I think that can really help me sort of expand and continue to get better and better. Great. Yeah, and I can kind of elaborate on that a little bit. I don't personally have mentors, but I serve as a formalized mentor. Um, through the Executive Women's Forum and through Cyber and a few other areas for women trying to get into cyber. And I also have done it for people that have worked for me and continue to kind of mentor them. Um, and I actually did a presentation on this for the Get With It um, conference last year. I'm not sure if that's recorded and available, but I think that there's a lot of qualities to look for in a mentor. And I think some of those are people that are going to push you and be honest when they're pushing you. So not tell you exactly what you want to hear because sometimes with the people that you're working with or even some of your friends, they're going to tell you what you want to hear. Whereas a mentor will be hopefully a little bit more honest and say, you know, maybe you, it's not working because you're doing this and maybe you can try doing this a little bit differently um, as opposed to just saying, yeah, I think it's fine. Go ahead. Um, and I think that's kind of been where I've had the most effective mentor mentee relationships is when we've kind of challenged each other. I mean, it's not only beneficial to have a mentor, but it's also beneficial to be a mentor because I know I still learn a lot from being a mentor from those that I do get to mentor. So it's really good to have it on both ends as well. Okay, great. Thank you. Let's see. Going back to the list here. So um, what are some key strategies that have helped you grow in your career? Um, I would say that just not being afraid to keep learning things and to keep pivoting to new technology and new languages. Um, I'd say with every job I take, I learn at least one new piece of technology. And some of that is, is a factor of doing a lot of consulting work, but some of it is a factor of, you know, tech jobs have a way of not necessarily lasting for five, 10 years. That particularly in the Cleveland area, changing jobs every couple of years is not unheard of um, and not for bad reasons even, it just, it happens. And so you need to be willing to do that constant pivot and be in a good mode to keep educating yourself um, and try to not lose all the information you lost along the way. Yeah, and I can kind of add to that. I know Nicole kind of already mentioned this, but I know for me, one of the biggest strategies that I've had to help me grow personally is networking. 
um, kind of going out building that network. Um, unfortunately, there's not a lot of people locally that I have within my network other than people that I've worked with or they've worked with me directly. Um, but a lot of my network is through LinkedIn and through other platforms that I've kind of joined um, or places that I volunteered my time. And I think that that's opened a lot of doors for me, a lot of opportunities when it comes to jobs, when it comes to speaking at conferences, when it comes to mentoring other people. Um, and I think that that is huge, no matter what career path that you go into, is building that network, leaning on that network, utilizing the network when you have questions, and when they come to you and they ask you to do things, um, whether it's speaking or volunteering, make sure that you say yes, um, because that's going to open even more doors for you. I think I'll piggyback off of a little bit of, of both of those. So. Um, Dara's right, like never stop learning, right? There's always more to grow and, you know, sure, I've been doing this 20 years and you could say I'm, you know, master level or whatever, but like I can get better. There's always more to like expand and, and grow. And so I, I find like I just try to read as much as I can to capture ideas and try them out. And one thing in the last three years that I've started doing, which I find really helpful is every week. Um, I try to carve out a half hour and just reflect on the week and think about like how did I grow personally? How did I grow professionally? How did my team grow? Um, what if like what were things that were like maybe like good ideas that like I don't want to lose sight of that just sort of like raw like just dump it all out and like it doesn't have to be perfect. I'll come back to it later. And I found that one that reflection sort of helps you think about what you have learned and reinforces it and two like I can't tell you how many times I've actually gone back to these writings to be like, wait a minute, I know one, in, you know, on another team I was doing this thing, and so, my, you know, my technical process is that I put it in Evernote and I can search for it, but, like, I have found that has been a really uh, interesting strategy, and to me it's new, right, like newish in the last three years. So I encourage that weekly reflection and never stop learning. Awesome. We have two questions that came in from the group that are really similar. Um, how do you ladies continue to kick butt in your job, be inspiring to others, and have a work-life balance? Uh, and the other is also about being a full-time working parent is tough, and how do you keep that work-life balance? So whether or not you're a working parent, either way, you're kicking butt. So <laughs> please share. I guess I'll start because um, my life has been really insane. Um, and I would say the strategies that have finally helped is that my life got so insane because I had a regular full-time job and I was a part-time adjunct professor at Case where I had to meet one-on-one -on -one with 19 students to each month. So my days were like super crazy where I would have just so much going on that it really, to have that balance, it required my husband to step up and really take point on getting our son picked up from school, going to baseball, like throwing dinner in the oven. And honestly, I just stopped eating dinner, so I only eat once a day. Uh, make sure that the guys are fed. They've got something they can eat all week long. That's the reality. Um, so like that has been sort of the way to find the balance. Um, but now I'm in a whole new questioning, like how do I find the balance mentally, physically, emotionally, like with all that's going on. Um, and so still still learning or still trying to figure that out. 
Yeah. And I think finding, you know, like she said, a great support system is imperative, whether it's your husband or a grandparent or friends. Um, and I think making sure that you have that support system at your job as well. So if you don't have a boss or coworkers that are going to help you and support you with that work-life balance, maybe you need to look somewhere else. Um, I know for me, being 100% remote has given me a lot of flexibility to be able to do a lot more when it comes to events like this or even going in you know to my child's school and reading a book at her lunchtime um different things like that to me that's important when i'm looking at a job when i'm looking at a career when i'm looking at who i want to work for um, and so that support system i think is just very important for my personal growth and for my mental well-being to be able to be successful at my job i would also add that being unapologetic about your life and your needs for your life. You know, that in our current situation, if I need to be in a work meeting with a child standing on my shoulders, that's my life. Here it is. I'm still doing my job. Ignore the child on my shoulders. You know, as I think as women, we have a tendency to feel we need to apologize for our circumstances and who we are and don't just is it's fine. And you can function with that. You know, it's, it's not ideal. I know my work-life balance is totally skewed right now. Um, but we're, we're finding whatever that, that new normal balance is. And I'm, I'm normally unapologetic about what my, my life needs are. Um, and strive to find employers who will understand. Um, that's something I always ask about in interviews. You know, because you want to know that up front. You don't want to get stuck in a situation where you're at a job that maybe you like the tech stack, maybe you like your team, but your boss does not want you to have any flex time, does not believe in a work from home day, you know, thinks that you need to work 90 hours a week. And maybe that doesn't work for with you for having children. You know, that does work for some parents. Uh, it's not my personal preference. Um, but yeah, just don't be afraid to ask and don't be afraid to say what your needs are. Yeah, I wanted to chime in too. Um, I've struggled with work-life balance, especially in the past year or so, really trying to work hard to make sure that, um, you know, everything is good with my department. And I think it's extremely important to have that work-life balance. Um, sometimes as someone who feels like, oh, I work hard, you can work hard putting the hours in, but you get so burnt out. And I know a lot of people who say they get burnt out with their position. They might love it, but they just overdo it. And I think it's very important to schedule out as much as you have to organize and schedule out time to like get tasks done at work. You need to schedule out time for yourself to have you time. You need to schedule time to say, hey, I just want to relax and watch my favorite TV show or read a book or, uh, you know, go to the spa or something. Obviously, that's not going to happen during this time period. But just <laughs> anything you happy, it feels good. And to really, you know, focus on your mental and your physical health, because without your mental and physical health, you can't really do your job well. So just wanted to bring that up as well. Awesome. I do want to just chime in another thing, and maybe it leads to one of these other questions too, but at least the way I've been working for the last eight years has been this combination of sort of lean and agile and highly collaborative teams. And there's something in there where it's like, it's called the hard 40, right? So we have to stop thinking about productivity as butts and seats and 40 hours is like equals to like good. Like that's bullshit and we should stop doing that because it's like when you're doing collaboration, like I could collaborate for two hours and get so much achieved. Like, 
but that's also exhausting. So I have to have a counterpose to that, which may be like me going to do a, a physical jigsaw puzzle, right? Um, and so you, it's unfair to say these days, I think, especially with knowledge work and in technology where most companies these days are agile, I mean, varying degrees of it, but uh, whatever, that you um, you have to like, like it's not that rigid, like it shouldn't, you know, I don't want you slacking off and like not doing your job and only like barely showing up, but I mean, if you work 35 hours one week and 32 the next and 45 the next, I don't really care if we're all moving forward. And so I really wish more companies would get away from sort of that old industrialized productivity. Um, and so the way to sort of try to suss that out is like how collaborative are those companies? How is their culture? Do they have a culture of inclusivity? And like we're, we're trying to like work through this together and solve it and like be good people. Awesome. Thank you. We've got about 10 minutes left, so um, I'm going to jump into the next question here. Uh, when applying for certain tech jobs, a lot of them require a lot of years of experience, especially in like the, the more technical fields. What are your suggestions when trying to apply for jobs where you may not fit all the requirements, but some of them? And I'm actually going to jump in and break moderator rules and answer this also. Apply, 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 apply. And I see a lot of nods, but then I'm also going to hand it over to the uh, to the panel to give a lot more in-depth answers than I did, just yelling at y'all. Yeah, I get asked this question a lot as a mentor, um, and I think that people are very apprehensive to apply for those, and especially in the security field, some of the requirements that they want, they want someone that has 10 to 12 years experience, but they want to pay them the salary of someone who just came out of college. Um, so the job requirements do not necessarily match what they're actually looking for. And I always say that they're kind of looking for that purple, shiny, glittery unicorn. That would be you know, their ideal fit, but they're probably not always going to find that. So don't be afraid to apply. If you meet some of the requirements, just make sure that you're, you know, you're prepared for that interview if you get called um, and really try and don't, just don't be fearful of it. I think if you get turned down, you get turned down. But again, networking and making those connections are going to help you get your foot in the door to some of those companies that you may have been overlooked other times as well. Um, so that's something to keep in mind too. Someone yeah, I'll, I'll echo that of just apply to everything. If it looks like a job you want to do, apply for it and explain how you do it in the cover letter. Like, I don't think I've ever met all the qualifications for a job I applied for. I would agree, apply. And as someone who has done hiring, um, like I'm not going to be rigid that you have to have all these things, right? Um, but what I do want to see is sort of like how maybe you've, maybe you don't have the full-on experience of three years doing blah, blah, blah. Um, but like help me understand like processes you went through, how you learn, like what was the project, how did you contribute, um, what was the outcome, even if that outcome was a failure, like that's okay. Like, just like, help me understand how you think and approach things because then and most things I can help guide you to the next level in a technical element. Right. And I, I think women are more prone to not applying until we feel like we meet more of the lines, more of the, the bullets in a job description than men are. Men apply and men get the jobs. There's no reason why women can't do the exact same thing. And you're building a network here. So make sure you reach out to the board and the panelists before you drop off of this. We'll have some um, quick reminders slides at the very end. 
Uh, let's see here. There's, again, two more uh, questions that came in from the group that are kind of similar, so I'm going to combine them so we can just take about five minutes and get those answered. Uh, how do you find employers um, who give you that work-life balance, and are there specific questions you recommend for someone who is shy? Uh, and kind of along with that, it's how do you find employers who are invested in you and your learning? So it's all about that balance and supporting you. How do you find those employers? I think probably through your like network you and talking to people. Oh. Um, like there's, there's sort of like, if you listen to the, the, the network, like there are naturally going to be companies that I think that rise and shine as being like good, known for good cultures and good support. And then others that you're like, I don't know. Um, and in some ways I think it's just like be open to those conversations, go in and, and see those companies. I always like to audition for any company I work for. Um, one, so that we both get to try each other out. I mean, obviously, they're not auditioning every single interviewee, but um, if it gets to the point where it thinks this is looking like a serious thing, it's like, hey, let's try each other out. Like, I, I did do that before I took my current role for another company. I went in and, and left and was like, no way in hell. Um, like, could I work there? Mm-mm. No, I know that's not for me. I mean, great people, they have a good culture, but like for me, like there was just not enough alignment. Um, so anyhow, I think there, there's ways to approach it that way. So listen to the network, have a pulse on like companies that might be doing things new and differently. And if you don't have that network when you're, you know, trying to find that, you know, first or second tech job, I've found that asking questions like, you know, Tell me about the company culture. Even if you're doing that initial HR screen, that answer can be very telling by how they phrase or choose to spin things um, to really give you a pretty good idea on what things look like. And something that feels like an asinine question but does yield a lot and people aren't going to knock you for answering it is asking people when you're interviewing with like a panel from your team, potential team, do you guys eat lunch together? not judging one way or the other, just want to know. And that'll, that'll give you a good idea of what the team looks like. Awesome. I'm um, just going to ask one last quick question that came through. So this is somebody who works as a scrum master for a software company. Uh, background is in training in HR. And when they interviewed for the role, they were told that they didn't need to be technical to do the job well, but have since found that having more knowledge would be really beneficial, um, more knowledge in that technical arena. So this is somebody who wants to further educate themselves to support their teams better. Where would you start? I guess the t scrum masters I've worked with who have been really fantastic have come from engineering. Um, so I guess my advice would be try to learn some technical size of things. Not to say you need to be proficient at writing code, but just to maybe understand more of the technical environment, architecture. Um, there's plenty of things online, so sort of self-study that way. Uh, maybe talk to other scrum masters as well and figure out like what their paths were and and how you might be able to learn from them And I would say don't be afraid to ask your leader um, If you can get additional training, I mean don't don't hesitate and say, you know I thought that I would be able to learn this a little quicker, but 
ask them if they're willing to invest in you in some training. And more than likely, you know, if you're doing a good job, they're going to be willing to do that. So don't be afraid to ask or feel like it makes you any less because you're asking for that additional training. Because like people have mentioned on this, um, this webinar is that you need to continue learning no matter what position you're in, no matter how long you've been in it. So even some of us who have been doing this for years, we're still continuing to learn. Awesome. Thank you. Um, and I think we do just have a couple more minutes. So I want to make sure that we get everything wrapped up here. I'm just going to share my screen again very briefly. So again, our panelists here, all of them are available through LinkedIn and that is that information is in the invite. So feel free to reach out. I'm also going to share with you here how to can reach out to get with it. This is our Cleveland chapter. We have, again, a LinkedIn and a Facebook page for the Cleveland chapter. This is a virtual event, so I have no idea if all of you are from Cleveland, um, but feel free to reach out for all of the chapters. We're all available on, again, LinkedIn, Facebook. I think there's a Twitter. Um, so please do reach out. And a final quick reminder in our last couple of minutes here, we do have some upcoming events. So although, oops, I didn't change the date. So that should be May 14th, not the 13th, apologies, May 14th um, at 6.30 p.m. for a virtual reciprocity ring. And again, it will be a Zoom meeting where we just ask that if you have a question, a challenge, something that can be resolved by somebody in your new network that you're building, please reach out and also come definitely with an attitude of helping others and see if you can help support somebody else's personal goals or career goals, their individual goals. We also have the call for speaker deadline that is end of May. So if you want to share, and this includes obviously all the attendees and the panelists, if you'd like to speak at the next Get With It conference, which is November 16th in Cleveland at Case Western Reserve University, please sign up by May 30th. And again, the early bird ticket deadline is July 13th. So just wanted to wrap this up and make sure that we're sticking to our schedule very tightly today since it is um, in the middle of your day. Thank you everybody for participating and for all of your help and for joining us and have an awesome day. We will have the video posted on the Get With It site soon. <laughs> Date TBD. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for tuning in, and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and leave a review. We will see you next time, and feel free to drop us a line at getwithit.org.